Hello, and welcome to the Upgrade Podcast, a show where we speak about everything leverage credit. My name is Manesh Patel, a second lead with an S&P's leverage finance practice. Today, we're going to peel back the onion a little and discuss Envision Healthcare and its recent distress exchange and our credit outlook. On the show today, we have Alessio DiFrancesco, a director in our U.S. corporate ratings healthcare team and the lead analyst on Envision. Steve Wilkinson, a sector lead of U.S. recovery and leverage finance, and Dan Hu, a director within our structured finance and CLO team. So, Alessio, welcome to the show. Thanks, Manesh. Happy to be here. Well, let's start off by telling the audience who is Envision Healthcare. Sure, absolutely. So, Envision is a national provider of physician-led services. Uh, it generated just over $7 billion of revenue last year. And it operates in two segments. Uh, So it's got the Envision Medical Group, uh, which is essentially its physician services segment. And then it also operates an ambulatory surgery segment. Uh, And we expect both these segments to generate roughly the same amount of EBITDA this year. Uh, Within the physician services segment, the company provides services in partnership with 124 health systems across the country. And it has significant presence in Arizona, California, Florida, New Jersey, and Texas. Uh, These services are focused primarily in emergency medicine, hospitalist medicine, anesthesiology, and radiology. Uh, Then within the ambulatory surgery segment, uh, the company operates about 260 outpatient surgery centers, and that's across 34 states and focuses primarily on gastroenterology, ophthalmology, and orthopedics. Right. It clearly is a large practice with significant strength. So so why have they restructured multiple times since the 2018 leverage buyout? Could you also provide like our view on the rating? Sure. So the company was taken private by KKR back in 2018 through an LBO. Uh, and through that LPO, uh, it valued the company at about $10 billion, uh, which represented a 10 times EBITDA multiple. Uh, at the time, we expected leverage to be about eight times uh, with good prospects for deleveraging. Uh, so that was incorporated in our B-plus rating at the time. Uh, but since then, the company has faced a number of headwinds, uh, mostly within its physician services segment. Uh, and we feel like those headwinds have meaningfully reduced its profitability and cash flow prospects over the years. Uh, these include legislative scrutiny on out-of-network billing that drove up costs for lobbying and advocacy efforts, uh, lower reimbursement rates from large payers uh, that also contributed to higher litigation costs, uh, and the ongoing shift in lower acuity patient volumes from emergency rooms uh, to lower cost alternatives. You can think of uh, telehealth, uh, which benefited from a flood of first-time users during the pandemic. Uh, There's also a growing popularity of urgent care sites and multi-care facilities. Uh, Then COVID-19 hit in early 2020, uh, and that led to a significant drop in patient volumes, uh, particularly elective procedures. Uh, And the first distressed exchange took place in April of 2020, and that was shortly after the pandemic began. And through that process, the company reduced its debt by only about $330 Uh, So still with debt levels north of $7 billion and weak cash flow prospects, uh, we saw the capital structure as unsustainable. Uh, So its rating remained in the triple C category. Uh, From then until fairly recently, conditions appeared to be improving in that the company received grants from the CARES Act, along with other stimulus efforts, which bolstered its liquidity position. 
uh, we were also seeing patient volumes gradually improve to near pre-pandemic levels, albeit with a mix that included more higher acuity patients, which is less favorable from a profitability perspective. And Congress also passed the No Surprises Act, which appeared to be more favorable to healthcare providers than other potential outcomes uh, when it was announced at the end of 2020. And that actually went into effect earlier this year. And then the, the second and most recent distressed exchange the company completed was last month. Uh, what we believe pushed them into that situation was a combination of factors uh, that included the company's already precarious liquidity position and ongoing headwinds I mentioned earlier, uh, which were exacerbated by increased volatility in patient volumes stemming from the Omicron wave that we believe made it difficult for Envision to efficiently manage clinical utilization. Uh, the company was also faced with clinical cost pressures due to the supply and demand dynamics within the labor market uh, that resulted in more use of locum and overtime labor uh, with limited ability to pass through those higher costs. Um, expectations for short-term rates uh, have also been on the rise since the start of the year, uh, which reduces cash flow prospects for the company, just given its large debt balance and uh, that more than 85% of that debt is based on a variable rate. Uh, and lastly, there's a, some uncertainty regarding how reimbursement rates may be affected by the No Surprises Act. Uh, the recent restructuring resulted in a reduction consolidated net debt of about $530 million and increased its unrestricted cash balance to about $1.2 billion. However, similar to the last time they restructured, we continue to view the existing capital structure as unsustainable and currently have a triple C rating with a negative outlook on the company. Uh, despite the large cash injection from the transaction, uh, we believe Envision's capital structure remains unsustainable because we expect annual discretionary cash flow deficits of 100 to 300 million over the next couple of years. And that owes in large part to profitability weakness in the physician services segment, uh, with EBITDA margins likely to remain in the low to mid single digit area through at least 2023. There's also significant uses of working capital, we anticipate, uh, increased capex to expand its ambulatory services business and rising interest rates. The company also has just under 750 million outstanding under its ABL and revolving credit facilities that come due in October, 2023. Uh, in our view, the company is likely to have a difficult time refinancing or repaying these obligations without unforeseen positive developments, thereby making a default scenario likely within the next 12 months. There seems like a lot of obstacles to overcome and the story's playing out. There's also some concern about their relationship with the United Healthcare and the impact of No Surprise Act. So can you discuss the current state of their relationship with United Healthcare and the impact of becoming an in-network provider? Additionally, how could the No Surprise Act play into the credit story? Sure, absolutely. Uh, so United Healthcare cut Envision out of its network at the start of last year, uh, and it remains out of network today. Uh, the two have clashed over reimbursement rates for many years. Uh, we believe that Envision does want to return in-network, uh, but that if that were to happen, those rates would likely be lower than the previous in-network contract they had with United. Uh, and these ongoing negotiations regarding reimbursement rates uh, may also be affected by how the No Surprises Act is implemented. When first announced, uh, we viewed the No Surprises Act as a positive development for Envision. And that was because it provided a dispute resolution process that could help resolve payment disputes more quickly. 
Uh, previously, healthcare providers settled these disputes in court at high legal costs against very powerful payers such as United. The legislation also allowed providers to bundle claims against payers in arbitration, and in most cases, the losing party would pay for arbitration. All that said, uncertainty remains around what the ultimate impact will be from the No Surprises Act, uh, particularly given that there haven't been many cases that have gone through the process. Uh, one of the key things we'll be watching for is how much importance arbitrators will place on the qualifying payment amount, or the QPA, uh, when deciding on the appropriate reimbursement rate versus other factors that some providers focus on to argue for higher rates. Those other factors include the provider's training and experience, uh, the difficulty of the service, and party attempts to enter into a network agreement. So it's difficult for us to assess what the ultimate impact will be on Envision's profitability and cash flow under this new framework, in part because we don't have exact figures on how much of its patient volume is out of network, uh, what its in-network contract rates are relative to QPA, uh, what importance the dispute resolution process will ultimately place on the QPA, and how insurance companies will act under the new framework regarding claim approvals and negotiating tactics. Well, thanks, Alessio. That was a great overview. Let's move on to Steve, who worked with you to assess the impact on the recent debt exchange on lenders. Steve, can you describe the exchange and its impact on first lien lenders? Thanks, Manish. So, the recovery prospects for Envision's existing first lien debt were significantly impaired by the April 2022 restructuring, which transferred about 83% of the company's ambulatory services business and the related collateral to an unrestricted subsidiary that no longer guarantees the, uh, the legacy debt. This subsidiary was then subsequently levered by debt that we believe will fully absorb that entity's value in a default scenario. And to put the materiality of that into perspective, the transferred businesses generated about half the company's consolidated EBITDA on a trailing 12-month basis. And we estimate that this accounts for roughly 40% of the enterprise value in a forward-looking uh, recovery analysis because the remaining business remains a uh, much higher revenue although that profitability in that unit has been struggling for various reasons, as Alessio covered earlier. This type of transaction is an aggressive form of restructuring that is euphemistically referred to as a drop-down transaction, which sounds quite vague and relatively harmless, but it's probably more accurately described as a collateral transfer. And the bottom line is that this restructuring was a material change to the recovery prospects on the, the rated first lien debt. And to make matters worse, Envision's legacy uh, first lien debt is also further impacted by the fact that the total debt at Envision was only reduced by about $600 million, even though about $1.9 billion of the legacy debt was repurchased on a discounted basis as part of this restructuring. And the reason that the total debt at that entity's level is uh, only down by a smaller amount is because the funds used to repurchase the legacy debt came from an intercompany loan provided by the unrestricted subsidiary itself. And this debt was given an equal ranking first lien claim against the remaining collateral that still secures the first lien debt. The intercompany claim against the remaining business from this unrestricted subsidiary is a new wrinkle in this type of restructuring, as far as I'm aware. And this is just another way of providing value to the new lenders that provided the capital to the unrestricted subsidiary that comes at the expense of the legacy lenders. All in all, in updating our forward-looking recovery analysis, we lowered our recovery rating on Envision's first lien debt by one notch to a recovery rating of four and reduced the implied recovery rate given default to 30% from 50%. So this is a, a big haircut. 
I'm sure there are a lot of unhappy lenders here. How was Envision able to move such a significant amount of assets from the collateral pool? At this point, Manish, that's not totally clear. To my knowledge, Envision hasn't publicly disclosed the specific provisions in its existing debt agreements that allowed it to complete this restructuring. In general, however, these types of uh, asset drop-down transactions or collateral transfers involve various exceptions to negative covenants, primarily related to restricted payments, asset sales, investments in unrestricted subsidiaries, and transactions with affiliates. And these are generally pretty complex restructurings to execute, usually requiring multiple steps and relying on several different baskets and or ratio tests to get sufficient capacity to do what they did and often requiring third-party valuations and fairness opinions. And the last factor that really plays into the flexibility that is now embedded in these documents is EBITDA addbacks are a big factor because they inflate EBITDA, and that's generally the mechanism that sizes the baskets, allowing company to take various actions, as well as the EBITDA-based occurrence tests. Uh, they become easier to meet with this inflated definition of EBITDA. Got it. Yeah, emphasize uh, how important it is to know what's in the docs. Absolutely. Is there anything else investors should know here about the risks of the current debt capitalization? Yeah, I think there's a few points to make here, Manish. So first, sticking with Envision, the company's new debt agreements at the unrestricted subsidiary expressly allow for additional discounted debt repurchases at its parent company, uh, and the, the company's legacy debt continues to trade at a material discount. So we expect additional distressed buybacks to, to happen. As a result, the issue ratings on the debt that's been repurchased namely the first lien term loans and unsecured notes of Division Healthcare, remain at a D rating, indicating default. And the company's credit rating remains on credit watch with negative implications and will remain there until we view the chance of further repurchases as unlikely. Potential additional uh, restructurings and capital structure changes could further shift the debt amounts and the relative priorities. So the updated recovery rating is still subject to review if additional actions are taken. The second point that I'd like to emphasize, Manish, is that aggressive restructurings like Envision's collateral transfer or other types of transactions known as priming loan exchanges, which are even more aggressive typically and uh, impactful to existing lenders uh, than collateral transfers, are still relatively rare, even though they're memorable. They, they represent a small portion of defaults on U.S. loans. Still, these types of restructurings have increased notably over time especially in recent years and during periods of distress like we had during the COVID-induced recession in 2020. So the, the numbers of these types of restructurings are small, but they are growing slowly over time. And I think the risk to lenders is that they become more common and less stigmatized, which would you know, expand the risk profile for leveraged loan investors. And more importantly, weaker loan documents are really now pervasive. So there's flexibility in most loan documents to take aggressive restructurings, um, although at this point they, they do remain rare. I think the last point to emphasize is that these types of uh, restructuring transactions are unpredictable and unquantifiable. So as we did in this case, we're capturing it as part of our surveillance, and that's important for investors to understand. Thanks, Steve, and thanks for the update. D Dan, moving on over to you, um, how these developments of Envision impacted CLOs? Sure, Manesh. So given the issuer has engaged and may continue to engage in open market purchases of the uh, loans at discounted prices, we expect that if CLOs were to sell these positions, it would come at a par loss, although removing a triple C name might actually improve the credit profile of the portfolio. However, the par loss would impact the OC ratios. For the transactions that did not sell, 
we would expect a reduction in the portfolio weighted average recovery rate since the recovery expectations for this admission loan was lowered to 30%. Meanwhile, given the issuer credit rating is now triple C flat, the CLOs that continue to hold Envision may be exposed to market value haircuts if their triple C baskets are over the 7.5% threshold. Though the impact to any one particular CLO might be limited, just given how broadly syndicated the Envision loans are across several hundred CLOs. Great. It's good to hear. Maybe shows demonstrates the benefit of active management. Were there any managers with outsides holding? Envision has been one of the most widely held issuers across US BSL CLOs for several years. As of the start of 2022, Envision was the 62nd most widely held issuer across US BSL CLOs out of over 1,500 obligors. Over 60 managers had exposure across the CLOs they manage, so that's about one out of two managers. US BSL CLOs continue to be well diversified. Most US CLO portfolios have exposure to over 200 obligors. Out of the CLOs that did have exposure, the average exposure was only about 36 basis points, ranging from near zero to a bit over 1%. Great. And, and just stepping back a little, uh, how significant is the proportion of health healthcare providers and service companies within broadly syndicated US CLO portfolios? So US BSL CLOs have had significant exposure to healthcare-related issuers for several years. There has been growth within the count of healthcare providers and services issuers since 2018, many of which issue loans that appear within U.S. CLOs. Under the GICS industry framework, exposure to healthcare providers and services issuers has grown to become the second largest GICS industry within U.S. BSL CLO portfolios. And that represents about 6.6% of overall exposure as of second quarter 2022. Well, thank you, Dan. Well, that's it for the show. In the show notes, we're going to put our contact information and a link to Alessio's latest research update. So feel free to contact us if you have any questions. 